Hello everybody and uh, welcome to the 173rd edition of the Frank and Stan chat and it's Happy New Year. Uh, the date is the 12th of January 2024 and it's the first chat of the year and those of you watching on the video will notice that we have a guest so we have uh, Rhonda with us this morning. Hello Rhonda. Hi Frank. Hi Rhonda. Yeah, and and hi Stan. Here. I think you've had a very uh, disrupted Christmas. So. Yeah. Didn't really get to Christmas dinner, did you? No, we we didn't manage a, a family Christmas dinner or family Christmas get together. Really, right. still, it's uh, I seem to be starting all these by seeing how, how everybody's family. <laughs> there is a so thing I'm trying to get away from that. The one person who wasn't ill through it all was me. Uh, <laughs> oh no! Now, now, Rhonda, um, you're in uh, Spain, southern Spain. Yes, I am so... based in Spain, so I'm uh, very active between Spain and the UK. Um, I I was working remotely before it was uh, permitted, so <laughs> I've pretty much been working remotely since about 2015. So now, I kind of divide my time between the UK and Spain, and um, yeah, I'm I'm just really excited to to be here and talk with you all. Since I see all the tweets on Twitter about your show, so it's a lot of good engagement. Uh, well, it's great. I mean, we we it's our privilege to have people like yourself on the chat. It really is so. Um, just give a little bit of, um, we know each other through um, uh, a not-for-profit organization called Innovate Her, which is trying to get more women, uh, uh, females, into the digital businesses, uh, into the digital world. But that's just a small part, isn't it, Rhonda, of your yeah, life? Yeah, absolutely. So just tell us a little bit more about what other stuff you do. Sure. So I, I had the pleasure to first connect with you, Frank, as you know, in 2020, when I became the chair of the board for Innovate Her. Um, and outside of that, um, I'm I'm in the the technology space more broadly, uh, but have previously worked in the mobile industries, uh, the Internet industries and the data industry. And a lot of my work focuses on topic areas like capacity building. So I've done a lot of work training governments um, in, in, in relation to policies. I also do a bit of DEI training. That's not actually on my, my LinkedIn. I have uh, one company, BRK Ujima, that I do that with. I lead up Panoply Digital, um, which is a company that um, that basically supports uh, multilateral organizations, um, NGOs and even governments with international development projects. So all of my work is is based in uh, low and middle income country contexts, um, but that can also include low and middle income contexts even within high income countries. So I'm originally from the United States, um, and you know, as a black person in the U.S., there's a lot of, of gaps and inequalities there. It was the same when I came to the UK. So I'm I'm just very passionate about working to address inequalities for people in the ways that I can. And education is uh one of my my primary tools to do that. Um and you know, as Mandela said, it's one of the weapons that can be used to change the world. So I'm trying okay. to do my part there as much as possible. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know all of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for so many years. I mean, because you do you do I mean, we, when we meet, we, we, we're very focused on the work, aren't we? And, yes. uh, and only recently, actually, we met face to face for the first face time. Face to face, yeah. Uh, but one of the things that just has triggered it for me um, is you know, uh, how have you managed to be successful? You know, I mean, the obstacles you've have, had to overcome. I mean, 
what is it within your character? What is it that you've been able to bring here to to make that difference for you and to and to be this positive example or you know of of how it can can be done uh, despite all the challenges? Well, I think one of the things that I've really benefited from is that all of my postgraduate education, so after earning my bachelor's degrees, all of the programs that I studied were from like critical perspectives and I didn't know that they would be when I, when I first signed up. So my first master's um, in applied linguistics, uh, the people that I worked with were contemporaries who had studied with uh, Paulo Freire, Bell Hooks, um, Foucault, so very kind of radical, critical thinkers within the education sector. And then likewise, um, when I did my second master's in sustainable development with a focus on tech technology, um, the, the theorists that we engage with primarily were all coming from a radical perspective. So I think for me, you know, what I've consistently tried to, to do is to take those lessons um, and apply it to my work. And it just worked out as well that the philosophies that I learned were what I had always felt as a, an international development professional and teacher, um, but was never able to articulate on my own. So I would say that that, that has helped um, first and foremost. And then I would say that um, being uh, being a Black woman and, and kind of being minoritized in, in several different intersections, I'm very good at listening. And so I have a lot of incredible people around me from, you know, all walks of life. And, you know, I maintain these connections, uh, both in person and, and virtually, but having a really good sounding board um, has actually helped me quite a bit. Uh, I think that I've probably been prevented from making several <laughs> mistakes professionally, because I, I have good counsel. And so I, I would say that, yeah, this is these are my my two main secrets um, that that kind of keep me, yeah, where it's I funny am. Because you, 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 yeah, I mean, it's interesting, Stan. When uh, when when I work with Rhonda, she's very good at um, sort of encouraging the board members to be giving. You know, so in effect, it's it's never Rhonda's show. It, it, it isn't, and, and actually, she's always very keen to to get contributions from everybody. But actually, that. But in a way, Rhonda, you are a bit of a disruptor, aren't you? Yes. You know, so you're sort of like this sort of gent well, the way you, you manage and deal with people is very gentle, but actually it's quite disruptive, you know. So and yeah. that, you know. <laughs> you smile a lot. <laughs> and, saying, uh, <laughs> speak speak softly and carry a big stick. I think it's <laughs> um you know, I, I I benefited a lot of my life from from people who were disruptors themselves and like my my professional mentor and friend Sonia George who works in the international development space um has just been one of those women who I've seen her use her privilege uh, for good consistently and so you know growing up I didn't have much and and now I have quite a bit comparatively speaking and so I think for me I feel in like Mm, compelled to basically to help do the same for others. So um, that was one of the, the reasons that I linked up with Innovate Her in the UK because you know I was I was a woman in tech at the time, and with their their goal being to help 
more girls get into tech and help tech be ready to 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 collaborate with more girls it it was such um an important thing for me not only as the mother to a daughter myself um but also being someone who entered the tech sector uh later in her career because uh you know I started out as a teacher and and that was my my first profession so yeah I, I think I've benefited from seeing positive examples of others Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I, I looked at your website and I was just starstruck at what and we have we've what just not been working hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> it just made me feel as though, well, you think, you know, the things you've done, you think, well, I've achieved quite a bit. It was insignificant <laughs> compared to what your website. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it, I think the thing that Stan was mentioning was the the sort of the worldwide impact that you're having you know the fact that you're not yeah but you're in spain here but you've been in america you're in sort of generally europe but there's also connections in africa as well from what the website's saying absolutely so um at the start of my career i was a teacher and i taught in the u.s and then after that um i moved on and i taught in south korea equatorial guinea and then madagascar as part of the us peace corps and the experiences that i had in south and in, in well south korea to a lesser extent but in equatorial guinea and madagascar kind of opened up my eyes to um, the field of international development and so i can say that you know, a lot of the work that I have done abroad, um, you know, I grew up, most people in my family have uh, never left the country. And, you know, I've now been to, I think, upwards of 80 different places myself, 80, 80 different countries. And so being able to to travel um, and to go and see new places is really like um, a learning experience for me because it it helps me to build empathy. And I think that that's how, I've been able to really um, do what I do because I, I can listen to people, I can be empathetic um, and then also try to devise creative solutions. And I think that's a lot of the work that we do on Innovate Her board, Frank, like trying sure. to help Chelsea creatively um, think outside the box with the, the different experiences that she encounters and having been to so many places and having lived in many different places as well has given me that, that kind of broad base knowledge. Well, I would say I just realize, Rhonda, you're not actually old enough to have done all those things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing just to plug for Innovate Her, if there's anybody watching um, who's um, particularly um, if you're in a secondary school or you're in a post-16 institution, um yeah innovate her is available online um you just have to connect with them and they'll connect back with you particularly if you're in the north uh or north west or the north of england and northern wales as well so they're stretching out there but but even if you're not and you want to uh, connect i'm sure chelsea and the team be very happy to to chat to you about the opportunities that come and it's all free it's amazing. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And they, they're always looking for new sponsors. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they have some big ones, don't they? I mean, there's uh, BAE and uh, uh, are in there as well and the co-op and others. So it's not, yeah. this is not a sort of flimsy little organization. It's, it's got some big no. behind it. Yeah. And they just celebrated their 10 years. So it's, it's, it's been a, a huge honor to, to be, um, in collaboration with such a an incredible organization doing so much work. And I think that 
uh, Chelsea has been through a lot of ups and downs and it's so good to just see her really continuing to grow as a leader. And I think that's, that's one thing for me that, that also has um, characterized my career uh, because my mentor was never, you know, kind of worried that I might do better than her. Um, it, it kind of frees you to help as many people as you can to, to, to be themselves, to live their best lives. And I think, you know, in many ways we've seen that with, with the evolution of, of Chelsea's leadership. So yeah, just putting, putting a lot of those good teachings into practice. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Okay, Stan. So um, what's caught your eye this week? Uh, well, the, the, the post office scandal has, uh, has caught my eye every day, I think for the last um, couple of weeks, but it, it relates so closely to what Rhonda's saying there about lack of supervision and, and lack of somebody, a critical friend, um, a mentor, somebody who says, but have you thought this might be the problem? And it, it struck me, having watched the drama rather than, than delve into the whole thing, that somebody in, in that organisation should have been saying, but hang on a minute, this, this is too many people that appear to be robbing or thieving or... or and everybody's saying the same thing. So there's a pattern here that somebody should have picked up on and said, we need to we need to rethink what we're doing and the way we're treating people. And it would appear that person was never there. Or, or you know, it, I think I think it's Google that, that had the empty chair at the meeting. And the empty chair is to is to represent people who aren't represented within within the group and it's to remind you that, you know, for instance, it might be a customer that you don't have a customer, but the empty chair there is to say, we need to reflect the customer's point of view as well. Yeah. So it, it reminds that the a team or a meeting that there are other people whose views they ought to think about. Um, and I, it, I, I like the idea of having the empty chair in the meeting. Yeah, it, for me, it was all around those things, wasn't it? Around the governance of all of this and the the sort of warped sense of leadership that was being offered, not just by, you know, at, at all different levels. You know, this is not just an issue, is it, that was understood by, say, the CEO of the of the post office. This is other people within that organisation going quite low down, I suspect, knew quite a lot about this. And I, I, I uh, it's interesting you're here today, Rhonda, because Fujitsu, um, apparently, uh, be careful what you say, apparently knew there was a problem with the software but there's a problem with all software yeah this idea that it's infallible you know i think it's interesting that the post office manage the the post office what they call postmasters and postmistresses yeah. were fighting against the computer were fighting against the technology and uh and actually they some of them just thought it must be me you know because mm -hmm. the technology is infallible you know whereas we know that you know the fact that you have updates for software on your computer tells you that there's a little bug here or a glitch there you know what's your take on it oh gosh i i mean when i i first learned about this years ago because i think it was a smaller thing and i didn't understand why it became a bigger thing but it seems someone wrote like a fuller story of it and i mean it's it's what we learn um, when you kind of learn a more radical, critical approach to technology, you know that people shape technology. Technology is just there on its own, but we 
you know, we are the ones who make it work for us or don't. And I think in this case, um, we ceded all reason and just assumed that, of course, the, the machine is going to be smarter than man. And I think this is um, such a cautionary tale for where we find ourselves mm. right now, actually, because in the, the era of generative AI, we have a lot of people who are are kind of letting machines think for them and and not having some more critical engagement with what all this is going to mean further down the line and there have been you know so many incredible women who have been raising the alarms about this such as Timnit Gibru, Joy Buluwamini, Margaret Mitchell um and yet we're still seeing the same conversations that are kind of like well oh almost helpless like what can we do it's just going mm. to happen we have to just let it happen and not enough time being taken to address things like what Stan has pointed out like if it seemed unusual that so many people were allegedly stealing why not investigate that because I'm sure the cost that it would have you know would have been made um would have been so much less than the many people's lives who were ruined i mean i read some of those stories years ago about the people that were affected and it was just so sad so i i'm i'm really really glad that the light is being shown on this um i actually had an experience myself with fujitsu i think it was in 2023 where i gave um a presentation on gender data and technology and it was interesting because not not everybody in the room, and I don't want to assume that their backgrounds were primarily technical, but not everybody in the room liked kind of the social mixing with the technology. Right. Things is very black and white. And I think that that is one big thing that also may have affected the outcomes here. There's still a lot of technologists that think in that manner, ones and zeros. There's a bit that got to me, Frank. Um, was to do with the investigation and mm -hmm. with everything we've been doing with Ofsted and, and the way to go about things and, and mm -hmm. that relationship, that those investigations were, were in fact inspections by another name and and yeah. the, the style and the approach was clearly the wrong one. In yeah, order and to... also determined prior, in effect, as a sense of, yeah, was... prior to the investigation. Yeah, we yeah. Need, we've we already decided. We the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we've already decided the outcome. Now we're, we're coming to test the evidence. Yes, uh, a hypothesis. That's, that's, yeah. But yeah. it made me laugh in in the um, um, in Parliament yesterday. I think it was there was in part of the inquiry. Um, they were talking to one of the investigators, and you, you could just see you didn't need to you didn't need to know anymore. <laughs> to, to see. Oh, sorry. It's all right. It's okay. Um, Rhonda, um, what's caught your eye this week? Yeah. So for me, um, what was a, a big eye-opening thing um, has been the spotlight on the case that South Africa has brought at the International Court of Justice um, against Israel for, for alleged crimes of genocide. And uh, one of the tweets that kind of rocked me to my core yesterday was um, someone who said, imagine, you know, South Africa arguing this case of genocide in the Netherlands, the country that basically helped supply South Africa, um, you know, will the <laughs> yes, government at yes, that time yes. um, to commit their own atrocities. And, you know, a lot of people also said that 
people who lived through apartheid at that time were, of course, now these lawyers that were arguing the the case against Israel. And for me, that was just very powerful because, you know, I'm I'm 40 and so lived part of my life when there was apartheid in South Africa. And then also being there when Mandela exited and everything and just also knowing the that, you know, in Palestine, there's this huge statue of, of Mandela as well. It, it struck me that, you know, there were so many different layers um, to this moment um, in in the in the Hague, um, but then also seeing uh, on Twitter that at least in the U.S. there was no coverage on it on any of our our major broadcast wow. networks, and I think that um, that's going to have so many implications um, uh, in terms of our elections that are coming up this year because I think. Uh, and you had mentioned this before, Frank, um, in, in terms of the generational differences. So I think the youth and particularly Gen Z are, are very much attuned to, to what's going on. And I think, you know, want there to be a real and concrete discussion about what's happening in, in the Middle East region. Um, and because that's not happening, we're continuing to see um, these protests and things like that. So I think, you know, uh, the media can manufacture consent. Um, and as an American, I think it was a very, um, a very bad thing that our major networks did not carry what was such a historic moment. So again, I think those intersections of technology and the social for me, even in that situation, are, are quite stark. Yeah, and I was saying to you before that um, uh, I watch Channel 4 News. They did cover it in the UK. I, I, I didn't. I don't tend to watch um, the BBC News or ITV News very much. But but actually, I was pleased to see they covered it. But I was not not aware that there was such little coverage in the States on, on this. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in a way, it's sort of, for me, you know, this is the power of social media as well, isn't it? You know, that <clears throat> particularly for a younger generation that's been brought up with it, you know, that actually the power of uh, these networks is probably diminishing, you know, and there's, oh, danger, yeah. there's danger in that as well. I do appreciate that. But but actually other voices can be heard. Other viewpoints can be can, can be heard, you know, through social media. Some of them are not well considered, but... Mm. <laughs> and actually, one of the things we've been talking about in the UK, but particularly in England, is this: there isn't sufficient um, education or training for young people on how to use social media well, how to identify potential sort of poor sources of information, you know, to to detect bias and what have you in 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 this. You know, we re- if ever we were to look now at creating a, an education system, I think most of us would say. We need to cover that. You know, there's abuse online and all of this is an integral part of growing up in the modern world. And many, many schools simply don't don't address it sufficiently. Well, don't address it. Others don't address it. No, I would say not at all. And I mean, when I I taught um, in higher education in the U.S. and but my role was. Part of my role was to to develop and deliver youth leadership programs. And at the time I was living in, in Boston, Massachusetts, and there was this <laughs> epidemic, I guess we can call it, of young girls at the time who were getting their first experiences on social media, but then committing suicide because they were being bullied so much. And so at that time, like my programmatic work was in part around um, anti-bullying, um, but then because I was also beginning to look at technology, 
that was coming into play. And as I searched, there was nothing really on digital citizenship. And then when I moved to the UK, likewise, there's not much you can get consistently on digital citizenship. And I think, gosh, we we are suffering for it right now. (laughs) This is something I continue um, to push for for that reason. It's a huge gap, Frank. You're absolutely right. Mm. Well, what's caught my eye um, Mm. is... We, we have had a guest on here on two occasions, uh, Isha Asim. Um, Isha um, was uh, the head girl at uh, Cope Academy, North Manchester. Um, she went on to study law at university. Um, and she's been a political activist uh, ever since I've met her. I met her when she was, I think, probably about 14. And uh, so she's been a member of the uh the youth parliament so she you know that this youth parliament network every local authority has uh a couple of members she was one of those she was elected she was a she was a leader of the uh of student strikes uh in manchester which didn't go down well with the college she was studying at but you know she was committed to it but she's been an activist working with some youth groups and she's blogged this week about a feeling of um of being discarded as a young person and uh, and also a feeling that in effect some youth groups you know because they're youth feel as though they need to take young people into their fold but actually they're not really willing to listen to some of the hard messages that are portrayed by some young people not necessarily about society but perhaps about the organization that they're meant to be working within you know and I think that uh, it's quite a bold move by Isha, but it does make me think about um, taking it back to school, how many young people are actually involved in school councils and this sort of stuff that go on. But actually, it's a little bit of a sop, you know, that actually we have the school council, it looks good, you know, but actually the, the sorts of issues that they talk about are not the sort of issues that are really going to hurt or affect many children and young people in the school. So, Stan, you mentioned before about um, having young people involved in interviews for staff yeah. at schools. Yeah, uh, in a few situations where that happens, and I have to say, where, where I've seen it happen, either as a panel, um, a young people's panel, um, or actually in a, a formal interview situation as well, where when it comes to the debate afterwards, their their viewpoint is virtually ignored, mm. as if as if well they, they don't really they don't really know you know they they want the soft one who, who was smiling at them all the time they, you know it's it, it just it feels like tokenism often and I wish there was mm. a better way of of doing it so that there was genuine involvement. Equally, I've sat on uh, school boards. Um, where children, young people have been been brought in to represent and actually sat through meetings an hour, two hours long that had nothing to do with them. And I just felt absolutely sorry that they were mm. they were there and really just just wasting their time to be able to say that on this family board we have student representatives and that it's there's a balance somewhere where, where you gather their views and you take notice of them without either sitting them in a meeting where they're not part of the meeting, if you're honest, or asking for their views and then just ignoring them. I, 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 it's triggered something. I hadn't thought of this before, but I remember um, 
Rhonda, there's a, an organ, a, a company or a group. It's it's not actually a company. It's a sort of it's a cooperative. It's called the Co-op in, in the UK. And I was fortunate to um, run the uh, school section of that organisation. And and prior to their annual meeting, where all the members are invited, you know, the, to this big place in Manchester, the the Co-op board um, meet for a dinner and. Uh, when I was involved, they always invited students from each of our secondary academies to the dinner. And I remember uh, Isha um, being invited for her year. And she sat next to a former government minister who was also uh, a lawyer. And Isha mentioned that she was, you know, wanted to go down this sort of legal route. And this, this government minister uh, tapped on the table and said, uh, I think we ought to listen to what Isha's got to say. So Isha was then stood up. There was about 40 of us, round tables, you know, quite posh. And what she offered, you know, was, I mean, it was, it was, it was heartbreaking because in a way, some of it was really good about the work that the trust was doing, but also it was showing there are things that we'd not, we'd not done, you know, things were still wrong, you know. And I thought, wow, you know, Isha, what a powerful statement that is. And also the confidence to be able to do it. But actually, the fact that all of us wanted, I think all of us wanted to improve. That was the key thing. You know, we wanted to know what was it that was holding others back, you know. Um, yeah, that, well, that, that for me. You invited me up to that, that, that secondary school to have a look around because of this range of improvement that it had made. And, and I happened to bump into whether she was taking us around because she was head girl I, I don't yeah. recall that or whether she she but she absolutely rocked me on my heels when I said you know bear, bear in mind where the school is and and the problems it had had and I said and what what are you hoping to do you know when you go on from here and she said I'm going to be a barrister yeah. <laughs> wow <laughs> and yeah. it's I mean, really interesting on the way to doing it she wanted to she 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 qualified with her um at Manchester with her degree, wanted to actually study down in London. She got a place at a London university, but um, without giving too much away, it, it for even for us as a family, you know, actually putting somebody up in a London um, university for any length of time is a massive financial commitment, you know. So, oh, yeah. you know, there's something here as well about these blocks that there are you think oh yeah get to university that's that's you know you're there but actually of course that's just the first step isn't it and then if you want to take it further so there are these further blocks that that are there that because I don't face them regularly I'm not familiar with they're not on my radar all the time but that did shock me as well that we were holding back somebody like Isha from progressing her career simply because you know that university course was the uh, was the one that she wanted and she couldn't get there um she couldn't sustain it. When I moved to the UK um, in 2011, uh, that was when they were having the massive protests. Some of my friends were protesting against the the hike in education costs. And as an American, I just could not understand <laughs> how you go from free to um, to what they what they had in the UK. And in the US, it was done in part. Um, as as segregation um, was was taken away, and it became a way to then um, keep um, eth ethnic minorities out of schools. Oh, yeah. um, but in the UK, you didn't really quite have that same thing, so it was quite shocking 
to watch. And as someone who just recently paid off my student loan debt, um, five-figure student loan debt, I just don't know what what they're trying to set people up for in the UK because salaries are already quite low when you compare to to other places. So it's been really difficult because I think if you are a young person now, um, the opportunities that you have are so different and in some ways limited to to people, I would say, even in my generation as a millennial. Um, and yet people keep saying that they don't work hard enough. They're, they're not grateful and they have to deal with things like what you just recounted, um, Frank. And I, and yeah, I really, I really feel for them. And I think that they will be the catalyst for some change because they're getting squeezed in, in so many ways that we just did not have to deal with in our generations. Well, um... I'm reminded, Frank, just to finish, of, when we talk about student voice, of being in a situation where I had to chat to a number of, of school refusers or uh, those that were least least likely to attend school. And there was one 14, 15-year-old girl who, who sat, arms folded like this throughout, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take part in this. And, and so I said, and so what's your story? And she said, well, I I, I wag school as much as I can. I, I, I don't turn up. And she said, but the best thing about it is, what's the punishment for me? I've been suspended. Who thought that one up? <laughs> <laughs> so for not attending school, she was suspended from school. Yeah. Well, actually, next week, Stan, we'll talk about the crisis that there is in school attendance. Um, we'll cover that for next week. But, uh, Rhonda, thank you so much for your time this morning. Yeah. Uh, you've sure. taken us down areas that we've not discussed before, and that's that's fantastic. And we'd love – I say this every time, but guests are so brilliant, we'd love to have you back. Uh, so oh, I'll, I would love I'll, it. I'll reach out to it. you. We'll get some people for – I got more running, time If now, we're still so... running – uh, yeah, we'll, we'll look for another day. But thank you so well, much. Well, I would love. I don't know if you all get into political talks, but once we get back to the elections uh, later this year, it seems that that would be very interesting for me because it'll be the first election that I can vote in as a, a British citizen. So I'm quite excited. Oh, wow! Right, oh, fabulous. Right, okay. Well, we'll, well, I'll put that in the diary for the yeah. autumn. <laughs> uh, enjoy, enjoy this afternoon in uh, in Granada. Thank you. I will, Stan. Okay. I'm just going to close it now. So we'll see you all uh, next week. And uh, well, we, we're actually going to be talking about safeguarding next week. Uh, so we have a, an expert on safeguarding. Uh, so a slightly different sort of topic that we're going to be covering. But uh, I hope you all have a good week and we'll see you all then. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.